reading tonight comes from the book of Psalms 86, verses 1 through 4. And it reads, Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring, your, bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. Good evening. I can remember early on there was a preacher that would make this statement. Uh, I heard him say it often. Whether we like it or not, we're either coming out of a storm, we're going into a storm, or we're right in the middle of a storm. I didn't really like that statement, but I couldn't tell him he was wrong. And so I found myself quoting him because I think that's a fact of life. Life is all about storms, and we find ourselves in those storms, and sometimes it brings about fear, uh, sometimes it brings about faith, uh, sometimes we don't know how to respond. There's a man named Randy Reed, 34 years old, he was a welder. He was working on a tower that was being constructed just outside Chicago. Uh, all of a sudden, slipped and fell 110 feet, 110 feet. He didn't hit the debris or any of the construction uh, equipment that was below. In fact, he landed on a six-foot pile of soft sand near the base of construction. Co-workers called 911. Within minutes, the, the rescue personnel were there. They were on the scene. Miraculously, all that he suffered was a bruised lung. Ironically, while he was being carried to the ambulance on the stretcher, just two or three feet above the ground, he said to the paramedics, please don't drop me. Isn't that something? Fear never goes away. I mean, the guy just survived a fall of 110 feet, and he's saying, please don't drop me. Just two or three feet. Fear is constant. What are you afraid of? You can say, well, I'm not afraid of anything, but I don't think that's true. All of us are afraid of something, or maybe some things. Uh, and I share that, and I want us to think about that before we jump into our text, because in talking about all this, I don't want you to think, I'm not afraid. I have fears too. Uh, I, I think about, and sometimes I pray, God, how can you use me uh, to work in a church like this? Uh, I ask God, and I question sometimes, you know, God, are you going to take care of my family? I'm concerned about my children. I'm always concerned about my children. Did I rear them well? Are they going to make good choices? Uh, the people that they have a relationship with, is that going to help them get to heaven? Uh, I want to be the kind of son that I can be able to bring honor to my parents and take care of them when they get aged and, and need help and be family the way family's supposed to be. Those are just some of my fears that come to mind. I'm sure you've got some too. We all have fears. And all sorts of things come to mind. But we ask God, God help me. Sometimes we ask God, where, where are you? Sometimes we readily admit that we are afraid. What I want to do today, tonight in our study is look at a, a day in the life of Jesus Christ. One day, uh, it's recorded in Matthew, it's recorded in Mark, and it's also recorded in Luke. Some, some commentaries will say this was the busiest day, the most draining day of Jesus' life, other than the, the day He was crucified, of course. That would have to be uh, the worst day, the hardest day. But this was a day where He did a number of miracles, 
surrounded by crowds of people. Uh, it was relentless when you just kind of follow through the text. You see it was on and on and on and on. All these things back to back. He's physically exalt, exhausted. And in the middle of this day, what I want us to see, and this is the way we've outlined our study, three different transitions or changes that happen. The first one is this, if you're following along and fill in the blank, um, it goes from calm to chaos. It goes from calm to chaos. We're going to be looking at Luke's account of this, Luke chapter 8. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. You ever been so tired, you just couldn't keep your eyes open? I think that's kind of the setting here. Because we need to remember, this is God in the flesh. He still needed to eat. He still needed rest. He still had his physical limitations. And at this point, he's exhausted, so he falls asleep. A squall came down on the lake, so that the boat was being swamped. And they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they ask one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. So the context here, the story, Jesus was weary from a long day of teaching, He's going to sleep. They're headed to the opposite side of the shore on their way to Capernaum. But before going, he gives them a command. He tells them what they are to do to go to the other side, the opposite shore. And that word should have encouraged them to take him at his word. Uh, Tom mentioned that in the prayer about standing on the promises, the song that we sang. This is what he said. We're going to the other side. But all they could see was the storm. They'd forgotten those words of Jesus. They lost sight of the fact of that. Now, I've never been to the Sea of Galilee. Some of you have. You've probably studied it before. One man wrote this. He said, I was there on a day I thought the water was rather choppy, yet the guide said, oh no, today's a calm day. And when you understand the terrain there around the Sea of Galilee, it's about five, 600 feet below sea level, surrounded by tablelands, uh, a collaboration of mountains on either side. The winds there are extremely intense and strong. It can stir up violent storms. One author said this, The rivers have cut deep ravines into the tablelands and down into the sea. These ravines act like giant funnels to draw down the cold winds from the mountains and thus the storms arrive. It's, it's typical in the middle of a big storm for waves to reach a height of 20 feet on the Sea of Galilee even today. See, when I think of a lake, I don't think of that kind of wave. I think of a wave when the boat comes by kind of wave, you know. Uh, not this kind of wave. So we need to understand the context here. When there was a storm and there were waves, there were waves happening. That's why this fear is there. And it had to be even maybe bigger than normal because his disciples are with him. Seasoned fishermen. The ones you would think would not be afraid of a storm, could handle a storm. But his disciples were afraid. Of course, their problem was not the storm around them, was it? It was the fear inside of them. It says in the text that Christ rebuked the water and the wind. I think it's kind of cool to note that. That, that word for rebuke there is the same word that's used uh, of Jesus when he's rebuking uh, a person who's uh, obsessed by a demon. And he rebukes that demon out of a person. Some commentators think that maybe Satan is the one who stirred up the storm. He didn't want him to go across to the other side because if you keep reading in the text, you see that when he gets to the other side, 
He removes a demon from somebody, and Satan didn't want that to happen. But Jesus calmed both the wind and the sea simply by his words. Speaking the words. Do you remember when you were a little kid? Were you afraid of storms? Did you have certain things that you would do? Maybe pull up the covers over your head if you were in bed at night? Or did you ever have in your, in your family that you would all go jump in the bed with your mom and dad? Like that was the safest place to be? I read about a businessman, I may have told you the story. He returned home from a trip. He'd been out of town for several days, and he got in late at night, so he, he drove himself home and made arrangements for that. And so when he got home, he was so looking forward to, and you know what this is like, sleep in your own bed, your own pillow. You know, nothing like home. But when he got home, it was really, really late. His wife, two kids, all in bed, in the same bed. His bed. So he was so looking forward to sleeping in his own bed, and there was no room for him. So he went and slept on the guest bed. The next morning he got up, and he was telling his kids, he said, you know, y'all are not so little anymore. It's kind of time for you to be able to realize the storm's not going to get you. You're going to be safe. You need to sleep in your own bed. You know, dad works hard. He gets in. He wants to sleep in his own bed. And so they, they agreed. A couple weeks later, he's on another trip. He gets home. This time it's the middle of the day. The family goes and picks him up at the airport. The four-year-old little boy came up to his son and hollered, I mean, came up to the dad and hollered as loud as he could. He said, Daddy, Daddy, I've got good news. And they said, what's the good news? He said, Daddy, the whole time you were gone, nobody slept with Mommy. <laughs> he said, everybody there was looking around for who's the Mommy, wanting to lay eyes on her. When are you afraid? When are you scared? Is it driving out of town in a storm, maybe a road you don't know? Maybe a situation at work? Maybe a relationship that went south? When do you feel most helpless? Most frightened? See, storms can arise so quickly and so unexpectedly. Your kids can embarrass you in a crowded airport saying the darndest things. Your mechanic will say, you don't just need to tune up, you've got major problems and you don't have the money for it you know your boss can say i need to see you in my office your teenager can say i'm in trouble we need to talk your spouse can say you know i think we need to see a counselor the doctor's office calls and says the results are in you need to make an appointment to come in as soon as possible in an instant you go from calm to chaos well, there's a second change that takes place from panic to peace. Mark records his words, peace be still. Remember that? Peace be still. Some versions say quiet be still. Literally what it's defined, you could interpret to say be muzzled. That's what he's saying there. Note here, Jesus has power over nature. Nature is not his mother. Jesus is God. Even though He's God in the flesh, He still has power over nature. You know, when teaching this story to children, to me, this one's a tough one. And as great as our, even our, our VBS skits are, this one's hard to make uh, come to life and for us to really appreciate. One thing I do love is the expression of the disciples' faces when it's so true. It's a fear and then it's amazement. And it's a quick change there. Total astonishment. And Jesus is teaching them to trust. Where is your faith, he said. Psalm 56.3, David says, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. 
He doesn't say, I'll never be afraid. He says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. I don't want us to miss the full extent of this miracle because Christ does a miracle, He does it right. You know, He, he could have just stopped the winds and, and that would have been it. Or maybe enough, but not really. He stopped the winds, but He also stopped the waves. You ever been water skiing in the summer or maybe on a jet ski on a lake and a, a storm just kind of comes up hurry and usually when that happens, it's your turn? You know, and so you have to wait till the storm passes, one of those summer storms. So you go and take a break, maybe eat a snack, and then the storm passes, and you think, okay, it's over, lightning, you waited enough time. But you know, especially water skiing, you can't jump back in too quickly, because even though the storm has passed, all that rumbling under the surface, the, way, the water is still choppy. Sometimes it takes hours for that to calm, even though the storm's passed. Jesus speaks to both. The water and the waves. The wind and the waves. Peace, be still. He can turn panic into peace if you let Him. Well, here's the third area. It's a, it's a big transition, a big change. Fear from storms to fear of God. Look at verse 25. Jesus says, where is your faith? Then He asked His disciples. In fear of amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey Him. See, don't read through this story too quickly, or think, I've read this story, and I, and I know it already, to miss this change. Because it's a big one. To go from fear of God, and fear of storms, to fear of God. You see, there are unhealthy fears, we know that. Fears of things, fears of circumstances. But there's a proper fear, a fear of God. A healthy fear of respect of reverence, an acknowledgement of who God is, what He's able to do, that He is in control, He truly is Lord, what He is able to accomplish. Look at Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all who follow His precepts have good understanding. To Him belongs eternal praise. So Jesus speaks the Word. He chastises His disciples because their fear was based on a lack of faith. It wasn't a fear of God it was the fear of their circumstances. It was the fear of the storm. And the disciples failed the test here because they don't lay hold of His Word. To mention that earlier, you know, He said, we're going to go to the other side. That's what He told them to do. That's where they were going. They didn't think they were going to make it. They didn't think what Jesus said was going to come true. And Jesus' point seems to be, if I were not with you, you'd have every reason maybe to fear the storm. But I'm with you and I told you we're going to the other side. You can trust me. So why are people afraid of coming to Jesus? Have you thought about that? Why are people afraid of coming to Jesus? Maybe they're afraid they're going to have to change their lifestyle. Maybe they're afraid because they'll have to break with their family tradition or their family heritage. Maybe because they'll have to wrestle with turning from a religion to a true relationship and discipleship of following Jesus. But notice the change the disciples had to go through. They started out first, they were afraid of the storm, but then they realized that what they should have been afraid of is this God in the flesh. Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey Him. They realized this greater power is right there with them the whole time. See, so they'd witnessed His healings, they had heard His teaching, they'd even seen the, the resurrection of that little girl from the dead, and now He controls the weather. Who is this? They asked. 
Listen to Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. See, if we're not careful, we can be controlled by fear. A school teacher was injured. He injured his back in the late summer. And it was kind of a strange kind of injury that he had to wear a, a cast that went all the way around from the chest to the back. But, but thankfully for him, he was able to put a shirt on over that, like a, a bigger shirt, and nobody really even knew he had a cast. And so when school started back, a lot of his colleagues didn't know about his injury, they didn't know about his cast, and the principal had assigned him to the worst possible class that year. He walked in, the rowdiest students, he went over to class, opened the window, it was a little uh, hot, so he gets some circulation, and when he did, the, the wind blew in and it, and it knocked some papers off his desk. He knew the reputation of this class. He knew what he was in for. But when that wind came in, the papers were gone, and, and they were watching to see what he was going to do. He picked up the papers, and even his tie was up over his, his, over his back. So he pulled his tie back, and he grabbed a stapler and went click, click, click. He didn't have any trouble the rest of the term. There's a healthy fear. There's a healthy respect of knowing who God is. The more we fear and love the Creator, the, the less we, we fear the circumstances that we find ourselves in, or even that might come about. I think we need to have an eternal mindset rather than a temporary one. Look what Paul wrote, 2 Timothy 1.7, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. I'll put on your study guide a question. What do you do when you're frightened? What do you think about that? Maybe even as the, the week goes on, what do you do when you're frightened? Because not everybody says, I'm afraid. Sometimes we act out in different ways. Maybe we're not even aware that we're afraid. Isn't that true? Think about children sometimes. They'll act out and they'll, 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 uh, they'll do something other than just saying, I'm afraid. Maybe you retaliate with force. Maybe with violence. Maybe a sharp tongue. Maybe you close down. You retreat, want to be left alone when you're afraid. The best thing we can do is to turn our attention to God. That's what we need to do. And I think that's kind of the essence of this story. When you find yourself in the middle of a storm, know who's there with you. I want to just quickly, just kind of by way of review or really by way of an application, um, share five reasons why we need to turn to God. There are more than five, but I want to give at least five. Number one, He is never afraid. God is never afraid. Think about that. That's why you can trust Him. That's why you can go to Him. What a great person you have on your side is the person who fears nothing himself. You know, when you select a friend, you want a friend who's got your back. You want somebody who's there for you. You want somebody who is true to you. And that's who God is. You ever been on a flight when you go through turbulence? It's not pleasant. Um, in fact, they'll, they'll try to warn you, but that doesn't always happen. In fact, nowadays they tell you if you're seated to be buckled up because of that. But imagine that if you, you go through turbulence and maybe it catches everybody off guard. And even if you're already seated or you're seated and you're already buckled in, 
if, if the captain uh, comes on and, and says something like this, this is your captain, and I've never seen a storm quite like this one. Cross your fingers, maybe we'll make it through. Yeah, that is kind of laughable, isn't it? Because that's not what you want to hear. I mean, you're already thinking all of those things. You want words of affirmation. What you want to hear is a captain to say, this is your captain speaking. We're experiencing some turbulence. We've radioed. We're going to drop our altitude down a couple of thousand feet. We should be in fine shape. Enjoy the rest of the ride. Sorry for the inconvenience. That's what you want to hear. Somebody who's in control. Somebody who can take care of things. That voice of assurance and confidence. This guy's been through this kind of storm. He knows what he's doing. He's seasoned. He's capable. God is never afraid. Number two, God has the power to overcome any problem. Isn't that true? Nothing is impossible with God. Listen to Nahum 1 verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is the whirlwind and the storm. Look at that last phrase. And the clouds are the dust of His feet. Don't you love that? The clouds are the dust of His feet. That's a picture of how powerful God is. But I know you can quickly say, okay, if He's so powerful, then why do I go through these storms? We do ask those questions. Well, let me share a quote from Chuck Swindoll. I think it gives a partial answer, but I think it's worth hearing. He said, how about these storms of life? Life is filled with God-appointed storms. A sheet of paper ten times the size would be insufficient to list the whirlwinds of our lives. But two things should comfort us in the midst of daily lightning and thunder. First, we all experience them. And second, we all need them. God has no other method more effective. The massive blows and the shattering blasts, not to mention the small constant irritations, smooth us and humble us and force us to submit to the role that He has chosen for us. If you think about it, if God stepped, stopped every storm, what about the needed rain? Well, there's a third reason that we need to, to know. And that is that God is always with us. God is always with us. You know that. I know that. But we need to be reminded of that. Jesus doesn't live in these four walls. He lives inside of you. He's always with you. The writer of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 5, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And then number four is His name. He's called the Prince of Peace. That is who Jesus is. Isaiah 9, 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on His shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is who Jesus is. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 7, from a jail cell, these words, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Some versions will translate that to say it's that peace that passes all understanding. You can't even fathom it. But by the way, there's one more reason and that is He conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. The tomb could not keep Him in. Therein lies the significance of Christianity. That reveals His power. That helps us to know why we should focus on Him. And the fear that consume a person is no match to that. Paul wrote these words to Christians to ease the minds 
when we doubt, when we're afraid. Listen to Romans 8, beginning of verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Look at verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you notice there in verse 38, death is the first thing he lists. Why? Because we're afraid of death. Everyone's afraid of death. We have no power of that. He knew that he would take care of that. Even 2,000 years ago, people were more concerned about death than anything else. So he speaks to that. I can say truthfully that I have experienced calm on several occasions throughout my life where I've been in a storm and somehow God has brought peace through that. But I cannot say that I know what it's like to bury a spouse or a child or for me, even a parent. Because I've not faced that kind of death. Some of you say, Randy, you have a lot lot to learn. And I'd say, you're right. But at the same time, as a minister, I've attended and been a part of many, many, many funerals. I've been at several hospital beds, emergency rooms, back bedrooms, or a hospital bed that's taken over the living room when someone has breathed their last. And that's never easy. Never. There is something that transcends death when the person and their family believes in the risen Christ. They understand. It's just temporary. And when death comes, especially after a long struggle of health, in a way it's a relief. Isn't it? You ever been there? In that situation where you don't wish them gone, but they're so tired, and they've been at it for so long. No more sporadic breathing. No more oxygen masks. No more pulsating chest. They no longer have to wear a wig. There's not a bedside table that looks like a drugstore. No more. They're free. And in that moment, there is a peace that comes. Because it's not all about that. You know, the world cannot understand that. And it's hard to put into words. It is a peace that passes, that surpasses understanding. It's hard to explain and what a paradox, because the world, death is, is defeat. It's a loss. You didn't make it. But those around the bed would confidently say to you, when death came and the body took that last breath, they won. And they would say, it's victory. And sometimes, even in those moments, are able to break out into song and praise God in spite of all the pain. Because there is pain. Because it still hurts. They're gone. 
When you think about it, a person cannot die in that type of surroundings unless they place their trust in Jesus Christ. Storms are coming. If you read your Bibles, you know it says to expect them. See, the truth of the matter is, Christians still die of cancer. Christians can still get downsized or some right, downright fired. Christians can have marriages that fall apart, children who go astray, all kinds of problems. But when our fear is turned to faith, our trust is what comes out of that turmoil more than beforehand. And our trust is deeper. What's the fear that keeps you from accepting the message of salvation through Jesus? Maybe you're afraid of change. Maybe you're afraid of crowds. Maybe you're afraid of not being able to follow through. Maybe you're afraid of water. Maybe that very idea of baptism is frightening to you. But it starts with faith. In fact, it's all about faith. We're going to give you an opportunity to become a child of God. We're going to stand and sing a song to encourage you. Won't you come?